So today we're going to conclude the second of three chapters in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And thus far we've learned of the Sermon on the Mount that it was a kingdom message that Jesus gave to his followers there in the north of the Sea of Galilee, not too far from Capernaum, if it's believed to be the location that the tour guides take you to today. But it was a kingdom message because at least nine times in this message, the Lord referred to the kingdom of heaven, your kingdom or the kingdom of God, nine times. Last week, we learned of the importance of how we should conduct ourselves when doing charitable deeds, when praying, or when fasting. And today, Jesus, he challenges our priorities. He's asking, are the priorities of your heart based upon the things of this world or upon the things of heaven? This portion of Matthew chapter 6, picking up in verse 19, is really a good priority check that the Lord gives to his church that is applicable for this day. And so I titled this message, A Believer's Priorities, plural, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And I broke it into four sections. Where's your heart? Verses 19 through 21. How is your sight? Verses 22 and 23. Who is your master? Verse 24. And in whom do you seek? Verses 25 through 34. And I'll read those. First opening verses of our first point, where is your heart? And we'll get into the teaching of God's word this day. So we're looking at verses 19 through 21. And I asked the question, where is your heart? Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. He's teaching that we are not to be anxious. We're not to be worried about the earthly treasures because these earthly treasures are susceptible to consumption, corrosion, and crooks. Of consumption because the earthly treasures are always in danger of things eating away at them. I can think of two, taxes and inflation eating away. Of consumption, it's like, hey, I got a raise this year. Inflation goes up, hey, I didn't get a raise this year. <laughs> we got some money in for the radio ministry because of the lightning strike in a post that I put up on uh, WLGS Facebook and just telling what happened and people want to help that they could help in that way. And we had two people send $600 and... Uh, Kevin's telling me about this Thursday night. I believe it was Thursday. He called me up and he said, well, money's starting to come in. And then he goes, and by the way, we got a bill. So we play music on the radio. You have to play, pay royalties to play music. And there's three companies. One of them is called ASCAP, 
And so he said, we, we had 600 come in. And by the way, I got this bill from ASCAP for a little over $600. And I said, well, the Lord gives and ASCAP takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're thinking, hey, we can get our radio board fixed. It's like, well, maybe. Consumption. Things are always eating away at them. Of corrosion because earthly treasures always are in danger of erosion or decay. And of crooks because our earthly treasures are always in danger of thieves breaking in and stealing our stuff. I've had two rings stolen in my lifetime uh, three times. It's like, well, how do you have two rings stolen three times? Well, the first was my high school classroom that my dad said, don't give this ring to a girl. But I started dating Lily and I gave it to her to wear. And uh, before that, somebody broke in our house. My dad was a pastor. It was Sunday night. They knew where the preacher would be on a Sunday night. So they broke in and I had was playing ball with my friends that Sunday afternoon and put my ring in my pocket changed for church and they went through the pockets that I changed the clothes with and took the class ring, got it replaced, gave it to Lily and she left it sitting on her dresser at her house and it seemed to walk away from there. And so twice, same ring, kind of, um, but gone by thieves and uh, a ring that my mom gave me on the day that my dad passed away uh, she took me into their bedroom, took one of his rings, and she said, I want you to have this. And somebody broke in our home on a January many years ago, and that ring is gone. I have a replacement for it, but it's not the same ring. It's, it's gone. Thieves, they'll steal. Consumption, corrosion, crooks. And all those these things can be of great importance to us. They can be of great meaning to us. We're not to allow these earthly things to cloud our vision of what's truly important, our walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 23, 5, you will set your eyes on that which is not for certain riches, for riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like the eagle toward the heaven. So don't set your eyes on those things which are not. In other words, keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on God. Verse 20, Jesus said, Lay up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. So our heavenly treasures are vastly different than the earthly ones. First, our heavenly treasures are not susceptible to consumption, corrosion, or crooks. Second, our heavenly treasures focus upon the eternal nature of the Godhead and God's great gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And third, storing up our heavenly treasures, it can have earthly benefits, though the true reward will be found in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, but we have this treasure in earthly vessels, speaking about our bodies, we hold the treasure of salvation in these physical bodies that the excellence of the power of God may be of God and not of us. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not in us. God uses us. 
in this life to serve others. So those treasures, I looked in the concordance of treasure, and a few verses popped out about this, about the Word of God and about the Lord Himself when concerning treasures. In Psalm 119, 162, God's Word is a great treasure. So the psalmist tells us. Proverbs 15:6 teaches us, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure. For those who walk in the ways of the Lord, there is much treasure. Isaiah 33, 6 reassures us that the fear of the Lord is his treasure. To fear God, to walk in his ways, that is the Lord's treasure. And finally, Colossians 2, 3 reveals that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge found in God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, saying, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Specifically, talking to the rich, he said, don't be haughty. Don't trust in those uncertain riches. Why? Because... They're susceptible to those three things of consumption, corrosion, and crooks. But use the gifts that the Lord gives us to do good upon this earth. And in doing so, we're storing up those earthly treasures. In verse 21, Jesus reminds us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's because... We have a Heavenly Father who knows all of our needs. He desires to provide for us while we're upon this earth. He gives us eternal life and a future with Him in the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, we can go about our Father's business while on this earth. It means that followers of Jesus Christ can willingly help others knowing that their true treasure is not upon this earth, but in heaven. So we have a radio ministry and my teaching broadcasts on the ministry three times a day. The a.m. and p.m. message is just a rebroadcast in the evening of what's broadcast at 6 a.m. But the afternoon message, I've been taking us through uh, my teachings through the epistles. And so some of these go back 10 years ago, uh, some a little more recent. What's on there currently, I think, going back to 2015. But... I'm sharing during those messages and uh, I can hear how I'm sharing, talking about the way the Lord has worked in my life and Lily's life in times past and the faith that we had and trusting in God. And I told Lily this week, I said, I don't want our faith to be any less than it was 10 years ago. I want it to be more. I mean, I was encouraged by hearing what I had to say and how the Lord worked in times past in our lives. I know these stories, but sometimes you need to be reminded of your own stories for the current circumstances that you might find yourselves in. 
I don't want our faith to be any less, but I want it to be more. Hebrews 12:28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Augustine said, Where your pleasure is, there is your treasure. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. Where your heart is, there is your happiness. So, Where's your treasure? Is it upon this earth or is it in in heaven? So the first question, where's where's your heart? Where's that treasure? Second, how is your sight? Verses 22 and 23, for the context. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I find that phrasing interesting because we don't compare light and darkness as equals, but opposites. But Jesus said in that second verse, if the light that is in you is darkness and there is false light, which we'll look at in a moment. So those who have good eyes... If we allow our eyes and our ears to receive from God's good word, from the good things in this life, God's light will increase within our lives. Proverbs 4, verses 25 through 27 says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left and remove your foot from evil. In this proverb, Solomon names various parts of the body. He names the mouth, the lips, the eyes, the eyelids, feet, and foot. By doing so, he's reminding his son that he is to be the master over his body and over his spirit. So what we allow to consume the eyes, the ears, what we consume will be reflected on how we conduct ourselves in this life, how we speak, how we act. Proverbs 25:28 says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit, like a city broken down without walls, no protection. And by keeping our eyes on the straight and narrow, by pondering the path of our feet, our lives will be established in the ways of God. And how much heartache we might avoid if we'd only learn to ponder the path of our feet, that all of our ways would be established in Christ. This is a greater challenge. I don't know if it's more or less, but I think it's more. Our eyes and ears, what we're consuming, what we're hearing, and the day and age that we find ourselves in with the availability of social media, with carrying computers in our pockets or purses now, or if you're an old man on your hip and a little holster. It is a greater challenge the availability of things of evil 
is readily available. A, a comedian was talking about the change from 20 years ago uh, recently, and he had a, a two charts, and I'm not going to get the first chart correct, but I'll get the second one correct. The first chart basically said what people do when they first get up in the morning, and it all had to do with checking social media or computer things. 20 years ago, 97% of the people peed when they got up in the morning. <laughs> and the other 3% changed their bed because they peed at night. That's what they said. What's the first thing? Those eyes, we need to keep it on the straight and narrow. So better to hold back. Look into the Word of God. Start your day with Christ. And then worry about the other things of this life. That's always upon you, always trying to consume, corrode, or steal away in your life. So bad eyes, verse 23, if your eyes, if your eye is bad, the whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, the light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? So in contrast, if we allow ourselves to see and hear things that do not edify, the darkness of this world will creep into our hearts. And this is truly life issues between light and darkness. Jesus said it this way in John 3, verses 19 through 21. This is the condemnation that light has come into this world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So he who practices it, it's a Greek word that refers to to perform repeatedly or habitually. He who practices evil hates the light. When it comes to this world, not all light is the same light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but there are several false lights, Satan being the one of the greatest of these. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14, it says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So, again, good eyes versus bad eyes. Light versus darkness. I've mentioned this before, but I was pondering... I don't know why, but the pirates on the seven seas and they're wearing a patch over their eye was not necessarily because they had a, a wounded eye. But historically, some of the pirates had learned that they kept one eye dark adapted and one eye light adapted when they would plunder a ship because they were going above and below deck. They would go from light to darkness. They were able to switch the patch to keep one eye light dark adapted and the other eye dark adapted that they could easily fight between light and darkness. Sadly, I believe that we have Christians today that find themselves more like the pirates of the seven seas trying to skillfully maneuver between the darkness and the light. 
Isaiah 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And we see this happening in our nation and in our world today. I never thought when I began pastoring a church that one day just teaching the Word of God could get me in trouble with our government. But over the last few years, we've seen preachers being fined, sued, and in Canada, thrown in jail for holding true to the Word of God. So we know that the nature of light is to expel darkness. Therefore, we can expel the darkness of our past sins through the light of God's Word. In Psalm 37:23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his ways. The steps of a good man or woman ordered by the Lord. The Lord delights in the ways of that person. So the issue of light versus darkness is always set before us. We always have these choices before us each and every day. We need to illuminate our whole souls, bodies, and spirits. With God's word, with the good things of this world, we fill our, our lives with the light of Jesus. We can help bring his light to the darkness of this world. C.S. Lewis once said, Virtue, even attempted virtue, brings light. Indulgence brings fog. Light versus darkness, light versus fog. How's your eyesight? Is it filled with the darkness of this world or with the light of Jesus Christ? Who's your master? We discover that divided loyalty is not true loyalty in this section. And this section, only one verse, verse 24, it tells us, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So the Greek word translated as loyal here means to hold oneself opposite to. It means to adhere to, to care for someone. And this mammum is an Aramaic word. I don't say it very well. It just simply means riches. From the Hebrew, it can actually mean that which is to be trusted. So what do you put your trust in? Who's your master? Are we all loyal to or trust in God? We all have a loyalty. We all have a trust in something or someone. Is it the Lord Jesus Christ or is it this world or is it our government? We're going to have this loyalty, this trust in someone. In Romans 6.22 it says, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God... You have your fruit to holiness and in the end, everlasting life. Slavery to sin or slavery to God are mutually exclusive. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. You're either a slave to one or a slave to the other. You either are loyal to one or loyal to the other. You cannot be both. 
In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So keeping your heart... Twice I thought about this. One of the past members of our church who now is with the Lord once told me that he was having problems sleeping at night. And uh, I remember the conversation. We were standing out on the sidewalk in front of the church over by the fence. And he's telling me that he's having problems sleeping at night. And I asked him, I said, what are you watching on TV before you go to bed at night? And uh, they were very, I don't know, I don't think the zombie craze was up yet, but it was probably, you know, before the zombies, they were the Good Witch and all these other spiritual shows. They were not good things. And I plainly told him, I said, why don't you turn that stuff off and not allow that to be fed in your mind and see how you sleep at night? That divided loyalty. Solomon had divided loyalty to God. We learn about it in 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm going to summarize it for you. I'm going to pick out a few verses, though, from the chapter. We begin in verse 4, 1 Kings 11, verse 4. It says, For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. Even though Solomon, the greatest, oh, we should say the richest and the wisest of the Israeli kings, the greatest would have been David prior to Jesus Christ, of course. But God gave him great favor. He gave them wisdom, the greatest wisdom of all men in his day. And yet he could not dabble in sin and get away from it. He couldn't dabble in sin without getting burned. His heart was turned away by his many wives. They introduced to him, according to the word of God, 1 Kings 11, 9 and verse 11. The Lord God became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Not only did God give Solomon great wealth and great wisdom, God personally appeared to him twice. And still, this did not keep him from straying away from a divided loyalty. And God said to him, Because you have done this and have not kept my commandments and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Because Solomon's heart was divided, his nation then was divided. And we need to understand this, that... When we dabble in the things of this world, having a divided heart, it not only impacts our own lives, but those that we love the most, our families. Now, Ruth, she had a decisive loyalty in Ruth chapter 1. Again, only read a few verses from there. But Ruth, as we know the account of Ruth's life, she was a Moabitist who married an Israeli man who passed away. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi um, her husband also died. She returned to Israel, and Naomi tried to tell Ruth to stay home, to be with her family. But Ruth clung to Naomi. 
In Ruth 1.14, that's what it says. Ruth clung to her. For in their years of hardship, Ruth came to know God. She came to faith in the living God. And there was nothing that was going to deter her from returning with her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. And she said to her mother-in-law, Ruth 1, 16 through 18, Entreat me not to leave you, nor to turn back from following after you. This would be a great for weddings, although this is a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law, which is usually you don't hear that. <laughs> she said, For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. The Lord do so to me and more so, if anything but death parts you and me. And then when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. So once Naomi saw that Ruth was determined, she gave up. Now Solomon and Ruth... They are examples of loyalty that can be either good or bad. It reminds us that our commitment that we have with Christ, it has to be exercised daily. Therefore, we've got to be careful about in whom or in what we place our loyalty. As seen in Solomon and his loyalty that was divided and Ruth, whose loyalty was decisive. First and foremost, our loyalty belongs to Jesus Christ. Second, it belongs to our families here upon this earth. There, our loyalty is divided from uh, our church or the ministry that the Lord might give us, the work that he gives us to provide for our families. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought desolate. Every city, every house divided against itself will not stand. So to whom or in what does your loyalty belong? Is it God or is it this world? And finally, in whom do you seek? This is the longest section, uh, verses 25 through 34, closing out this chapter. And I'll just break it down in its sections. So first of all, we have the concern in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, in America, we have been very accustomed to having a large variety of food available to us. Uh, Not so accustomed any longer for these things. But... We're finding the stores uh, being limited in these things. So we've been, though, up to the last year, really, food and clothing industries, they've went way beyond life's necessities. We've had the extremes offered, the best gourmet foods, the most expensive designer fashions being made available. Um, I heard just this week on one of the news programs they were talking about just something that was on social media about an anniversary date where the girl ordered a $300 steak. Now, I've never paid $300 for a steak, maybe $300 for a hind quarter of a cow, which then you get a lot of steaks when you do that, but not for a steak. 
where the boyfriend in this anniversary meal had a $40 meal. So they had extremes at that restaurant, obviously. We have these extremes in our country. When I was growing up, my mom would make beans and cornbread. We still make it every time we have a ham and there's a bone left, beans and cornbread. One time I remember my dad saying to mom, said, Doris, when you were growing up, you guys ate this because you wanted to. It was like an occasional meal. When I was growing up, we ate this because we had to. They were in the Depression, coming out of the Great Depression um, as children, both born in 1932. Dad's family didn't have it so well. In fact, by the time he was 12 years old, his parents were divorced and things were very tough. He got one pair of shoes a year, and that was only to go back to school. So it was to go back to school shoes and probably had grown out of these schools in the summertime. He just went barefoot. Meat for dad's family was a once a week treat. Otherwise, it was beans and cornbread. And my dad did not like having beans and cornbread as an adult. But that wasn't the only thing that was in limited supply after the Great Depression. Many of the older homes were really great on architectural design and detail, but they were short on closet space. At the time historical homes were built, think about the 1920s, 30s, 40s, most people did not own more than a few articles of clothes. So they didn't have closets built in the bedrooms. They would have either, uh, they called trunks, they called them clothes press, and they would just put their clothing in a trunk. My grandpa, he had his Sunday clothes, and he had his overalls. And he wore overalls seven days a week and probably changed for Sunday. And that was pretty much what I remember, my grandpa and his overalls. Besides, he wouldn't have known where to put his watch if he didn't have his bibs on, because it hung right there. Or maybe they had the uh, stand-up wardrobes that we, we don't need today. Jesus teaches that life is more about food, it's more about clothing, and sadly, today's media seems to teach that it's all about food, all about clothing, all about expensive homes, all about cars, what you might drive. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which draw men into destructive destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Let's get that one straight. It's often quoted wrong. 1 Timothy 6, 10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It does not say, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's one root, but one of many roots, not the particular singular roots, as many people quote it. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So we need to be careful about the concern 
that we have in this life. In verses 26 and 27, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap or gather in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you of not more value than they? Which of you by worry can add one cubit to their statue? I used to think, I realize this, I don't know. You know, I've taught through this a few times. And uh, I think about Davos 6.4. I always, not 6.4, he was 6.2. The four is the inches between me and my dad. He was four inches taller than me. And I was hoping as a teenager growing up that I would get to that six foot two height. Dad was, why not me? But at least I was taller than my mom and my sisters, but not as tall as my dad. I couldn't add one inch. A cubit is 18 inches. I don't know if we'd want to be an extra 18 inches tall, but we can't, worry can't change how we grow, our physical condition in that sense. But it can impact how we live and really hurts the health of our bodies. He compares the birds of the air. They neither snow, sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns, but they are fed by God. And he asked the question, are you not of more value than they? The answer to that is yes. Now, we have many in our world that don't believe that there is a God who created us, and they would say that we are not of more value than the animal kingdom. But the Bible tells us that there is a great difference between us and the animal kingdom, because in Genesis 2-7, it tells us that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Hebrew means that God imparted soul into humanity, a spirit or a soul into humanity. That is never said of the animal kingdom. We are of more value because we have been created in the image of God. That is not said of the animal kingdom. We are of more value because God breathed into man the breath of life. That is not said of the animal kingdom. We are of more value because God has made us spiritual and soul creatures. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. That last Adam referred to Jesus Christ. And the Father, we are of more value than the birds of the air, and yet the birds of the air are provided for. And yet we can be consumed with worry, anxiousness. When I was a child, sometimes as an adult, I find there's times when I can be Consumed with being worried and anxious just a few weeks ago. Actually, last week. There was some troubling news that um, I was dealing with, and I was worried. I was anxious. I was packing up, getting ready to go home. And there's an advantage that I can have here at the church, working at the church. 
I had my computer in my bag and I was coming out of my office and I set everything down and I came into the sanctuary. I knelt down at the prayer benches and I prayed. I said, no, before I leave, I got to lay this before the Lord. But you don't have to be in the church. You don't have to kneel at the prayer benches to do that. You can do that wherever you're at at any time. The Lord hears and the Lord's willing to answer our plea. Sometimes we need to take the time to put the brakes on, to stall, and to just pour it out before the Lord. Like the birds, we are responsible to labor for our daily bread. Once obtained, Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. We have to give thanks to the Lord for his provision. 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 8 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we cannot carry out nothing. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. When I was a brick mason, there was one year where unemployment was kind of common in the wintertime, especially when I was a young brick mason. Once I became a foreman, and I pretty much worked year round at that point. But there was a time when I was in my early 20s that the winter's unemployment because of the weather and the snow just continued on into spring and into the deep summer. And I ended up that year being on unemployment for eight months. Then there was a time when I was working full time and I still didn't earn as much as the year I made unemployment, now I was older, I was 32 years old, I wasn't in my early 20s, but I actually, it was all around the same amount, but I actually made yet less, wasn't laying brick that year, I made less than the year I was unemployed for eight months, and yet in both of those seasons, God used it to stretch our faith, trust Him for our daily provision, And in this current economy that we find ourselves in, I find that my faith is being stressed, again, for our family's provision, for the provision of this church. And the Lord says to us, verses 28 through 30, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lily of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will not he much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Solomon, as we know, the riches of all the Jewish kings, and yet God said in all his glory he was not arrayed as a lily of the field. And Solomon had great wealth in his kingdom, it tells us that silver was counting as nothing in his day. And they had such an abundance of gold that he even had battle shields made out of gold. I, I don't know if they actually used them in war, but he had them made. And though blessed with wisdom and wealth, these things did not prevent Solomon from turning his heart away from the Lord. So daily, we're to seek for God's kingdom his provision verses 31 through 34 don't worry saying what shall we eat what shall we drink what shall we wear after these things the gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things seek first the kingdom of god his righteousness and all these things will be added to you therefore do not worry about tomorrow 
For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Take it one day at a time. It's not wrong to seek God's provision in our lives. We are to pray, again, Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. But we're not to allow these things to become the priority of our lives. The Lord Jesus Christ is to be that top priority. We are to seek first, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God says all these things will be added for you. Is my worship and relationship with Jesus the top priority of my life? Or do I invest a majority of my effort in other things, in personal gain? If we would seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, by doing so, we'll find that we'll be laying up treasures in heaven, that God will not only give us treasures in heaven that await for us in eternal life, but he'll provide for us while on this earth. Jesus promised that if we make the kingdom of God and his righteousness the top priority of our lives, he'll see that our needs are met. It may not mean that we will have great wealth, but we'll be provided for. So when anxiousness, or perhaps when we're distracted about many things, when those things begin to invade our hearts, May it be that we would take a pause. For me, I did this last week. Just came into the sanctuary here and knelt down at the prayer benches. Where Philippians 4, 6 says, By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I caught myself because I had just taught on the Lord's Prayer. My heart was troubled and I knelt down and I began to pray out to the Lord the troubles. And then just because last week we taught on the Lord's Prayer, I paused and I said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I began to worship God first. Let's have the right priority. Seek God in his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct the path of your feet. And may it be that we would make the kingdom of God and his righteousness our top priority. So we've learned in chapter 6 that we're not to be like the hypocrites who in their prayer and their fasting, they just wanted to be seen by others. In that, they had their reward. When we pray, when we fast, we're to do it in the sight of God. We're to trust in the Lord God, not lay up for ourselves earthly treasures because they're always subject to consumption, corrosion, and crooks. We're to lay up heavenly treasures where nothing will get at them. We're to illuminate our bodies, our eyes, our ears with the good things of this world, with the word of God. We're to not have divided loyalty, but to let our loyalty be in God and God alone. We're to trust that God will provide for us, to give us this day our daily bread. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Those who do so will discover that they are laying up treasures in heaven 
and while discovering that God will continually provide for us on this earth. It's my hope that you've realized that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that you've placed your trust in him first and foremost in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word you've given us. A challenge, Lord, because we are living in challenging times. And we find, Lord, that in our world today that there are things that are consuming, corrupting, and trying to steal away the things that we treasure on this earth. And it might be, Lord, that these things need to be limited in our lives here upon this earth, that we would get our focus back where it should be upon you and your word, trusting in you for our lives and for your provision. Help us to be a people, Lord, that truly would seek first your kingdom, trusting, Lord, that all these other things would be added in our lives. May we, Lord, walk in your righteousness in this very dark world, that we might be light and give hope to others in a sense, Lord, that they would see the light of Christ in our lives so much so that they would desire that same light. The light is not us, Lord. It is you. And we thank you for that. And these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.